What an incredible thing for us to know that our life is hidden with Christ on high. What a great morning to be together and worship as family. I know that you're getting new information and things are changing each and every day, but what a glorious privilege for us to worship Christ this morning. I pray that you're well. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to continue in this series we've been working our way through. We started looking at this misunderstood king. Jesus is often misunderstood. That's still the case today. And when we left off last week, the disciples had been sent out. They had been sent to preach the good news, to call people to repentance. They were seeing people being freed from unclean spirits. They were being healed. And then we have sandwiched in between those things uh, an event that is almost like it's going back and looking at something that happened previous. We have this event that happens, and there's only two times in the Gospel of Mark that the account is not about Jesus. And on both of those accounts, it's the same person that it's about, and that's John the Baptist. And as we're going to read today, this is like a script for a melodrama. There is political intrigue, there's family scandal, there's murder, there's unjust imprisonment. I mean, there are all kinds of things going on in what we're about to read, but if we are not careful, we'll miss what is most important. When we come to the Word, when we see the Scripture, the Scripture tells us about God first. We see things in the lives of others, and we learn things about ourselves, but when we come to the Scripture, we must not miss what we're supposed to learn about Jesus and about being His followers, His disciples. We don't want to miss, because of salacious or gruesome details, the truth that is contained within the text. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at the end of the life of John the Baptist. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you'll join me. Mark chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse number 13. And I would invite you to stand with me that we might honor the reading of God's word together. The scripture says this, that they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, well, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? 
And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste and said to the king, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that, had, that they had done and taught. May God bless the reading of his word. Receive it as his living word today. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning grateful. Grateful that Christ, our King, has conquered every enemy. Grateful that before the throne of God, we have a mediator. We have one who loves and intercedes for us. And so this morning, we come to that throne of grace, knowing that we will find help and confident in who Christ is. His continued ministry on our behalf gives us such joy and such hope this day. And now, O oh God, as we turn our attention to your word, O oh God, let your word transform us into something that looks more like Jesus. Teach us about yourself. Teach us about ourselves. Teach us how we should live. Let the word live unto us that we might live unto you. Be glorified in this time. O oh God, I confess before these who watch today that there is nothing good in me except for Jesus. But with great, great joy and confidence in your word, O oh God, today I am glad to say that Jesus rescues sinners. Let there be no confusion about Jesus. Make consciences tender and give us courage no matter the cost. May we continue in what you've called us to do. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I told you, it's an interesting story. This text that we have before us today records some things for us that Maybe a little bit surprising. Now, when it comes to the Bible, sometimes you see uh, the name Herod, and there are many Herods that are actually mentioned. For most, the first Herod that we think of is actually Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who was king when Jesus was born. That's not the Herod, though, that we are talking about today. As a matter of fact, Herod had ten different wives. And of those 10 different wives, the one that we are talking about today was born to his wife, Malthus. Now, she was a Samaritan and she gave birth to a son who was named Herod. But most of the time, you'll see his name as Herod Antipas or Herod Antipater. And when you read those things, I want you to know that's who we're talking about. Now, when it comes to him, he was called a tetrarch. For when Herod the Great died, they took his territory and they divided it between four of his sons. And so the word tetrarch literally means a ruler of fourths. And when it comes to the Herod that we're talking about today, he, his region was Galilee and Perea. And so this Herod that we are talking about hears about what Christ has been doing. He hears about the mission that the disciples have been sent on. And when he hears it, he has many questions. And as he walks through these questions, one of the conclusions that he comes to is this idea of superstition that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. 
Now, when we think of John the Baptist, I, I want you to know that Christ said, among women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the miracle child of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Long childless and long past the days when they would have children, God visited his people and there as Zechariah was ministering, an angel tells him, you're going to have a son. And, they, and he tells them that you should name him John. This John the Baptist is the very first to give witness to Christ even while he was in Elizabeth's womb. When Mary comes and she visits with Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaps for joy inside. John the Baptist, the forerunner, he is calling people to prepare the way. He is calling people to repentance and to be baptized. John the Baptist was a furious character in the wilderness, and he would confront religious leaders, and he would ask them why they were depending upon their religion for salvation. He would call them a brood of vipers and ask them who, who told them that they should flee from the coming judgment. John the Baptist recognized Jesus. He identified him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was John the Baptist who, in keeping and fulfilling righteousness, even baptized Jesus. John the Baptist spoke truth. He, he spoke it directly, and so it was no problem for him to confront this puppet king about a relationship that he had with his newest wife, Herodias. He called him out, even though it was not politically expedient or correct. He had no fear for the reality that this was a ruler in his area. He had more fear for God, and so he was determined to declare the truth. It didn't matter what the cost was. He wanted to speak the truth. And so we're introduced to Herodias, the wife of Herod. And now this wife, it was an odd thing. Now, she had been married to his half-brother. Now, when it comes to understanding how all this fits together, do you want to talk about, like, you know, family scandal and how it all comes? She was the daughter of Herod's half-brother who had been killed by his father, and technically she was his niece. And it's a very convoluted story, but the primary thing that John the Baptist wanted him to know was this. It's not lawful for you to have her as your wife. You see, when God designed humans for flourishing, he put together there in the garden, you can read it in Genesis chapter 2, that foundation of the way that we would develop communities. Husbands and wives united together in an eternal covenant and bond with the gift of children being given so that his image bearers might extend his glory throughout the earth. But we find that between Herod and Herodias, that there was a giving in to willful disobedience to God's word, a giving in to willful sin. And when John the Baptist spoke against it, it infuriated them both. Now, when it came to Herod, he was perplexed, but he respected John. He, he, he appreciated the fact that he would speak directly to him. But when it came to Herodias, this woman scorned would not be quite the same. She wanted him to be put to death, but Herod only imprisoned him. But when it comes to imprisonment, it was, it was more a way to, to keep him while uh, judgment was waited on or, or just to keep him so that they could settle matters. But she was not going to be content until he was dead. 
She waited and waited. She was shrewd. She was willing to do whatever it took. And as the story unfolds for us, John takes this stand. He is imprisoned and protected. And Herod loves to hear, but Herodias is still in the background. And she's just waiting for her opportunity. And that opportunity comes at a time when Herod really did not expect it. A banquet is given for his birthday. A normal practice, especially among rulers, and there were all kinds of influential and prominent, important people from the community. They were gathered there, and they were having a great time. And Herodias would even send her own daughter, not caring about her dignity or her honor, but would send her in to entertain. And in that entertainment, Herod makes this declaration, this vow before his guests that you can ask me for whatever you want. He didn't have any idea what she was about to ask for. The girl runs quickly to her mother and says, what what is it that I, I should ask for? And Herodias wastes no time. And this ghastly request comes through. She demands the execution of John the Baptist immediately. Herod is sorry. He's very sorrowful. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Mark, that word for being very sorrowful is only used one other time. It's used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see Herod in this moment, and he's very sorry that he has gotten himself into this, but his pride is there. His fear of others is there, and he relents. He sends orders. And the swift, cold sword draws the blood of the last of the prophets, a relative of Jesus, whom Jesus would say there was none greater born among women. Sadness, devastation. John's disciples risk uh, coming and asking to bury the body. They're given, they want to honor John the Baptist. They want to come and they want to have that moment of grieving And they're given permission. And then in most of your Bibles, it seems that we make a break, but uh, Mark is putting that there so that he can see. Right on the backside of that, the disciples return to Jesus, and they explain to him all that God had been doing, how the mission had been moving forward, what was taking place as they had been sent out. Why would Mark sandwich this story between the disciples being sent and the disciples returning? Why would he place this, not in a a chronological order as to what came next, but why would he look back and insert this story here? He wants there to be no mistake, and he wants to see the parallels that just as John would be the forerunner for Jesus in calling people to repentance and faith, he would also be the forerunner in death. Think of the comparisons. Whether it's Herod who would vacillate and and then finally give in to social opinion and peer pressure or Pilate washing his hands having to give in to an angry mob. Think about it, those conspiring for his death, whether it was Herodias or chief priests. You see so many parallels, but I think what Mark is wanting us to see more than anything is that when it comes to following Jesus, as Jesus will tell us in a few chapters here in this gospel, that if anyone wants to come after him and be his disciples, 
it's a costly thing. It costs everything. Following Jesus costs everything. I think Mark is telling us this story and he's placing it here so that there's no confusion about Jesus. He, he wants us to know who Christ is, what Christ has come to accomplish. He does want to honor the memory of John the Baptist. He does want us to understand these things. But more than anything, he wants to help us understand what it means to follow Jesus. There's five things I want us to consider. And the first one is this. When it comes to a confusion about Jesus, that's dangerous. Being confused about who Jesus is, is is dangerous. It's still something that happens today. There are many who look at Jesus and they see him as a great example. There are some who look at Jesus and they, they, they see him as a, a great and gifted teacher. They, they look at Jesus familiar with the stories and they think that it's just a, a, a sentimental tradition to be looked back at. And I wonder for us, Perhaps you're like me. I, I grew up in the church, and I was very familiar with Jesus. I, I knew a lot of things about him, but knowing about him, being familiar with him is not the same thing as a saving faith. It, it's troubling to me that Herod at least viewed Jesus more highly than his own family. He at least could understand him as John the Baptist, a prophet arisen while his family still didn't see him as anything except a misguided relative. For some of you, there may be some confusion about Jesus. For some of you, that confusion is around, you feel like that following Jesus is really about you having to keep all the rules and do everything just right and really perfect everything that you do in, uh, in order to earn his approval and favor. For some of you, you see Jesus as something that is like another add-on or another good activity for your life. But I, I want you to know that when it comes to Jesus... There's only two options. He's either your king or he's your condemnation. Confusion about Jesus is dangerous. It's dangerous for eternity. It's dangerous for the soul. Can I ask you a question? Has there ever come that moment for you where you have bowed the knee to King Jesus, surrendering all things, dying to whatever is necessary? Exchanging your life for his? If you have not, I, I pray that today will be a day that you take that step. I pray that today would be a day that you would reach out to us here at the orchard and say, hey, can you help me take the next step in this journey of faith? I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to place all my faith and trust in him. I, I want to make him my king, but I, I don't know exactly what that means or, or how I do that. I, I hope that you'll reach out to us. You can email us, info at theorchardchurch.com. I, I, I think for a lot of people, facing the reality that in this pandemic, our mortality and the fact that for all of us, there comes an end to this life, it should raise questions about the next one. And I hope that you're not confused at all. I hope that there is great clarity instead of confusion when it comes to Jesus. I pray that there is joy freedom and safety for your soul the second thing i want us to see is that character matters character matters when john the baptist would preach his 
message, when he would call people to repentance and faith, when he would say to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your wife, it was important that his life backed up what he said. You see, Christian convictions should be connected to Christian living. Or said another way, practice what you preach. You see, for a lot of us, I know for me, there sometimes is a disconnect between what I say and how I live. We're looking at patterns. And when you, when you see this, part of the reason that Herod had this fear of John the Baptist wasn't because, because he saw John as a, a political rival. It, it wasn't because John the Baptist had some army that might come in and assume power from him. His fear was a fear of knowing that he was righteous, holy, just. He could tell that there was something different about his life. You see, when it comes to following Jesus, character matters. Now, we know that we fail in our behavior, that we struggle to always do what we say is right. And although we are looking to Jesus for those things, there should be a pattern that says, Jesus is my king and I live for him. The third thing I want you to see is this, conscience can be made callous. Our, our conscience can be made callous. When we feel that conviction of sin, when our conscience bears witness against us and we know that we need a Savior or we know that we need redemption, we know that we need rescue, it is possible for us to get to where we ignore or, or, or try to put away those thoughts or redirect our actions where we can make it so that our consciences are seared, cold, insensitive. As Christians, I, I, I want to just give this sober warning. When we fall into sin, as we all do, it is the ongoing patterns that are so dangerous for us. Those places where we give in to sin willfully over and over and over so that our conscience is seared and we are not tender and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. There's a book of prayers that I often read from, and one of the, the lines in there uh, tells us that it asks God to melt my conscience, that no hardness remain, make it alive to evil's slightest touch. You see, if we're going to follow Christ, we have to be sensitive to the sin in our lives. We need our conscience tender toward Christ so that at the first impulse to disobey our King, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, knowing that no temptation has overtaken us that's not common to all people and God's faithful to provide a way of escape. Hating our sin and loving our Savior. Be careful for those ongoing patterns of sin. Ask God to give you that tender, wakeful conscience that can smite and torment me when I sin. No, those are dangerous prayers, but they're helpful. The next thing I, I want you to see is that courage can be costly. 
You see, as we read in the Scripture here, the reality for us is that when it comes to following Jesus, there is a connection between being on mission and martyrdom, being a disciple and death. When it comes to following Jesus, taking that stand, that courage can be costly. John the Baptist, faithful to the very end, but it did not stay the sword from coming down across his neck you see for us we have to be careful now sometimes when it comes to our courage it's really not courage at all sometimes we can be guilty of pride and and and, and being um, self-righteous toward others but when it comes to courage the courage to say this is what jesus teaches this is what i believe i I've been rescued and I cannot help but follow it, it can be costly. For us, we have the freedom this morning to be online. We have the joy of opening our Bibles. We have the privilege of gathering families around and talking openly about Jesus. But there are some of our family in the world today who are cut off from any kind of online worship experience, who are huddled in places where guards might break in any minute. They are risking their lives and their families to follow Jesus, but they believe as we do that Jesus is worth everything in this life so that we might obtain the next. Courage can be costly. The next thing I want you to see is that we're supposed to continue in the mission no matter what. You see, as as Mark looks back and gives us this picture, uh, the disciples continued in the mission. Jesus continued in his mission. We'll see next week when Pastor Sam picks up that, that Jesus wants to take them away to a desolate place, but the crowds just keep following and they, they keep coming. And, and so even in sadness and grief at the loss of a family member, even with all that is taking place, even in fatigue, even in trying to just find a moment for himself, he continues the mission. Obedience to the Father no matter what. And the same is true for us today. Just as when Christ died and was raised to life as we celebrated, the disciples, these apostles carrying on the mission, now we as the church carrying on the mission. Beloved, our mission is the same. It will be the same for as long as the Lord tarries and for as long as he leaves us here. Let us be found faithful to God's mission. Continue. No matter what, no matter pandemics, no matter furloughs, no matter loss of job, no matter loss of freedom, let us be found faithful, continuing in the mission. Because you know what? There is no opposition that can stop the kingdom or the king. Upon this rock, Christ established his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have a king that although he is sometimes misunderstood, he is no less the king. And when he is our king, he gives us a commission and we have a purpose, meaning we know who we are. We know what we're called to do. This family of missionary servants sent to make disciples of Jesus Christ, knowing that our affections are to love God more than anything else to love others and to make disciples walking in faithful obedience continue the mission beloved family online do not lose heart in doing good 
In due time, we will reap the harvest. Do not grow faint just because there are challenges that we face. Jesus is with you. You are loved. I want you to know that as we read this story today, as we see that Herod misunderstood Jesus, as we see that there are all these things that unfold that are terrible in the world, I want you to know Jesus is still king. He sits on his throne and the day is coming when he sets all things right. Do not be confused. And if we can help you in that, we would love to. Do not lose heart. Be careful about sin. Walk in what God has called us to. Your character matters. Watch and guard your heart. Be tender in your conscience. Have courage. Speak to your neighbors, your family. Tell them that Jesus matters. Keep on. Continue. Christ is worth it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. What a privilege to be your family, to be able to continue. And so today, oh God, as we recognize that we can come before your throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in our time of need, we do so. And so I pray, God, for those who listen this day, whether it's in the kitchen or in the living room, let our tables become an altar where we can come before God. We can plead upon his mercies. We can ask him for help. We can lean in his righteousness. We can rest in his grace. We can know that we are safe in him. Stir in our hearts. Help us to love Jesus more today than we did yesterday. Oh, God bless those who are trying to figure out what to do next. God, I, I pray for healthcare workers giving themselves away in tireless service to our communities. I pray for those essential workers who keep going and keep showing up to work. I pray for those who are sick and suffering. I, I pray for those who are, are trying to figure out what to do financially. I pray for families who are trying to figure it out. I pray for marriages that are struggling. I pray that in all these things that they will see that there is a good, kind, and wise king who bids people come no matter what they're facing and no matter what they've done. God, help us that we might trust that you are as good and kind and merciful as you say. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So, Holy Spirit of the living God, do what only you can. Grant repentance and salvation to those dead in trespasses and sins. Tenderize consciences that we might be careful to the things that we would allow into our hearts, our minds, our ears. Teach us. Make us holy. Because we want to hear you say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. So to that end, we give ourselves in glad surrender to our King and our friend, Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. If we can help you take next steps, whatever that looks like in your journey of faith, you may be confused about Jesus, the Bible, or what it even means to be a Christian. We want to help you do that. Please reach out to us. You can go to our website. You can call us. You can email us. We would love to help you take those next steps. And if you are uh, looking to take a, a next step in being family, we just finished exploring membership, but reach out. We'll tell you how to take steps in being family. Or if we can just serve you wherever you are, it is a great privilege to serve Christ and to serve you. 
You are loved today. You are not alone. Jesus is worth it. God bless you. We can't wait to see you again. But until we're on site together, we'll see you online.